We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign, uh, and the guts, to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. And joining me now on the podcast from way up in northern Alberta are Lawrence Lamouche and Elvis Thomas. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Great to see you. Great to see you. Thanks for having us. Now, I mentioned northern Alberta. Uh, how far north? Where are you guys exactly? Um, you know where Peace River is? About uh, 85, uh, 82 kilometers east of Peace River. Let's talk about your territory. How, how broad is that? Uh, Treaty 8 territory, it's quite vast in the northern part of Alberta. It kind of branches off to uh, part of BC and Saskatchewan as well. Mm-hmm. So Treaty 8 is a fair size. 20, I think, First Nations are part of Treaty 8. Is that right? 24, I believe. I think it's 24. Okay. Well, this is a, a great way to start the podcast, guys, because it's a first. It's the uh, first time we've had two guests on at the same time, both of whom are involved with land management in their community. So we're we're making history here after about 40 episodes almost. So that's pretty cool. Uh, who has seniority among you two? <laughs> uh, it, it all depends what you're talking about. Um, my... My coworker here, Elvis Thomas, he's, he's been the uh, on-reserve lands manager for many years. Um, and I'm the uh, traditional lands manager, meaning the uh, territory that uh, Woodland Cree uh, um, occupies in for traditional land use. And, you know, it, it like I said, it all depends what you're talking to because we're, I think we're equals in, in my mind anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, we both started uh, in the same field. We used to yeah. be field technicians where we did traditional plant use studies. Yeah. Then in 2006, uh, we started developing the consultation lands and environment department. And that's yes. how we both work together. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I wanted to go back. We'll talk about your, your two roles, but how about a little history first? How far back do you go when chief and council decided that they should explore this land code option? I think uh, early development stages and how it really first started for us was uh we came up with an idea where we wanted to start a solar project, a big solar project where we'd get off the grid. So we started this project in about 2015. Then we found out that we had to go through certain steps with uh, Indian Services Canada, which they're called now. They always change their name every few years. And this, uh, we had to do land designation in order for us to get this parcel land for a solar farm. I was like, wait, you got to do land designation. And then, okay, we'll do it. It's about a year and a half process. So when you look at it, you have chief and council's terms that last only three years, and you start a project and you're halfway through, it's always a risk starting late because you don't know if uh, the same people are going to be coming back next term. And sometimes projects can be put on a shelf and move on to something new. So... Then after we passed the land designation in 2016 for three land parcels, uh, Indian Services Canada came to the, the band and said, hey, would you guys be interested in uh, looking at the land code and maybe developing it for your First Nation? Then we looked into it there and it was like, yes, we are definitely interested because uh, we want the economic development opportunities in our northern area. So that's how we kind of stepped our foot into the door for the land code. Lawrence, do you remember back in the early days? Um, yeah, I, I remember how uh, 
you know, we, we needed land uh, to be designated in certain areas. And all of a sudden we had to go through a bunch of hurdles and hoops. And I was like, wow, like this, it, it's very slow. Like when we needed something right now, it was very slow. And I was like, okay, well, let's do this. So, you know, I, I remember how difficult it was for getting it done right away based on need, like right now. And then all of a sudden we had to to wait a year or so. So it kind of hindered us in a sense where, you know, how um, there's different funds, certain things and flavor of the month, depending depending on what, the, you know, the funding dollars are for in certain areas. And when we were trying to do the uh, solar stuff, it just didn't come as, as fast and as needed. So I, I remember how it hindered us in that sense. And, you know, we, we really, we really need to do, we really need to, sorry, need to get stuff done like right now and we can't do it. So once chief and council made the decision, how do you go about educating the community about what a land code is and then what the procedures should be to get one enacted? Lots and lots of, uh, updates with community uh we usually do uh i think a quarterly uh, newsletter for first nation for the membership but we also do uh community meetings and elders always have many many meetings throughout the year so that's when we kind of say okay uh we'll talk to the elders coordinator and we'll kind of give them an update with the elders and say okay this is what we're looking at and you know get the blessing from everybody said is this something that you think is beneficial for First Nation? How pivotal are the elders to the process, Lawrence? Whenever we do anything, you know, we always go to our elders first. And, um, you know, they kind of help us, give us direction, um, give us ideas and, you know, ask a lot of questions so that we can answer everything we need there. Because, you know, if when once we uh, talk to the elders, chief and council, it kind of trickles down from there to, you know, the... Uh, um, other knowledge holders, other members, you know, in the families and things like that. And, you know, that's how, you know, mucks and telegraph, <laughs> smoke signals. <laughs> so leading up to, I guess you had to have a couple of votes, right? One is to become developmental. We just got a BCR from chief and council. Then uh, we just, after we got the BCR signed off, we got it to INAC and uh, we started working with LabRC. Then uh, we kind of developed a lands committee to start working on our land code. And uh, we just went from there. And the only time we did the vote is to pass the land code after we finished the, the draft process. Oh yeah, and, and in between time, right, we we um, we put the postings up, uh, we talked to uh, elders and anybody else who had questions that came into the uh, office. And, you know, we had uh, one-on-one discussions because some people didn't really understand. And uh, we were able to, uh, you know, accommodate a lot of people, you know, moving forward and in between to get this done. And it was very awesome. So take me to voting day. And I want to know where you guys were and how nervous were you? <laughs> well, we held it at the uh, our school there, uh, just right across from our band admin building. You can ask Lawrence. I was pretty nervous because I was just pacing back and forth mm-hmm. when we were doing accounting. Even though that uh, most of the counts were being voted as yes, I was still nervous because, uh, it's part of Alberta history for a First Nation to become the first in Alberta be- to, to develop a land code. So I was pretty nervous about that. And uh, we the majority voted yes. And yeah, I was pretty happy with the outcome. But really a nerve-wracking process. That's all I can say. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was the one doing the tally sheet on, you know, 
how many yeses, how many noes, whatever. But, you know, I, I couldn't sit still. I had to stay up and I, I just went and got that uh, big posted looking thing and started jotting down, you know, how many yeses and if there was any noes. And I was like, I, I couldn't sit still. I was like, oh, my goodness. OK, this is this is happening now. <laughs> it's actually happening now. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. I happened to be with a local community out here that went through the same process and was with them that night as the votes were being counted. And uh, chief and council and the lands department folks were pretty excited. I'm sure you could hear them yelling miles away. So <laughs> it's a great <laughs> development for sure. The land code, it lets you withdraw from the land provisions of the Indian Act. And you have the ability to enact your own laws and bylaws. Have you had time to start that process yet? We are actually holding our first meeting after the land code vote here in two weeks after the October 6th vote. We did have a short meeting prior to it, but there's more like next steps. So this upcoming meeting is, I think we're going to start looking at uh, reviewing our land use plan and getting a timetable on which ones, which projects we want to tackle first. I know bylaws is going to be one of the major ones that we're going to be looking at for sure. And what would those bylaws be covering? Every bylaw that we have in place right now, uh, residential bylaws, I think will be one of the first ones that we'll tackle because I think those are the ones that most First Nations have issues with on, on their lands is uh, residential bylaws. Can we talk about traditional territory first of all? What's happening out there now? Is there any development? Or is there any resource development going on out there? Yes, there's a lot, especially with uh, you know oil prices going up and there's a, uh, we find that there's a lot of exploration right now. Uh, with oil companies coming in and also, you know, forestry uh, doing all their cut blocks and yearly routine stuff. But um, yeah, we're, uh, this area used to be called uh, Little McMurray because uh, of all the development back in the day since uh, 2005 and six was a big boom. And then we had another one in uh, 2014-15 and uh, it was pretty crazy. We were, you know, side assessing all kinds of uh, different projects and, uh, talking with um, forestry and it was it was pretty crazy because we're kind of multitasking in all kinds of projects and and now because of the oil prices it's uh, starting to be more development in the territory and uh, it it's it, it gets pretty crazy at times and do community members make use of that property very much oh yes that's that's one of the reasons why you know we do what we do is because uh you know there's a lot of hunting camps uh there's a lot of uh culture camps all kinds of stuff like even trappers you know go doing their thing and uh we got people harvesting medicine harvesting moose you know and different types of animals and vegetation and stuff and so it's really important that we collect as much data as we can in certain areas so that we can try to protect best we can those areas for you know future generations to be able to continue you know, living that uh, traditional land use uh, lifestyle. So it's, it's very important that we, we know what's happening, where it's happening, and when, so that we can tell, you know, certain people, if it affects them, that, you know, you need to do what you need to do now, or we try to uh, negotiate with company, things like that, to be able to move a little bit because, you know, we don't want anything happening in certain areas. But it all kind of depends on the, uh, I guess, uh, rarity of certain things in certain areas. It can get crazy at times. And we like to protect our uh, cabins, like tr like traditional stuff, cabins, uh, sites where uh, hunting camps used to be, uh, old wagon trails, all that good stuff. And we do have a data database, grave sites. And those are things that 
we hold dear to us. So when there's development on traditional lands, those are the key things that we like to protect. So do you have to work closely at all with outside organizations or other municipalities or even the province when it comes to talking about land use out in the traditional territory? Um, yes, it's, uh, well, actually, it's mostly the uh, ACO, Aboriginal Consultation Office, and the uh, companies themselves. You know, they, they, they send us notifications on what, what they plan to do. And, you know, we kind of look at our maps and our, um, our, our, our in-house data to see if there's any, any potential impacts based on their project in certain areas that might have, you know, certain points in it. But um, it's kind of it's, it's crazy sometimes when you have, uh, you know, it's in proximity to certain sacred areas. It, it's kind of hard for us to, to move things certain. Like we really need to, to um, sit down and talk about certain things because, you know, depending on what it is, it's very important that we protect it if possible. 99% of the time, it's still going to go, but we still need to do our due diligence for our community and our people to be able to say, hey, this is there, this is very important, and why? And, you know, we hope that you work with us to be able to move your your, your project like a, a little further back or not in that area. But like I said, it's all it, it's all based on um, how, how well you're able to... Uh, um, have that communication and, um, you know, with, with companies to be able to do that. Tell me about a, a time when maybe you ran into an obstacle. Is there something that you think would hold you back from successfully adopting land code? Was there anything? The only uh, concern, I think, was a uh, misconception of what the land code is. Because I know we had a bunch of questions regarding, oh, you guys are going to be selling our lands. Uh, those were one of the main things. And First of all, I don't think any First Nation really can own land. That's part of the treaty, right, Lawrence? <laughs> yes, yep. And um, one of the things also were like, um, are you going to, we're going to turn into municipalities, you're going to, you know, tax us, are you going to do like all of this kind of stuff? It's kind of, oh, we're going to lose our uh, treaty rights, things like that. So it was kind of crazy and hectic at first and as we go, but, uh, you know, as we went through it and talked to the people and said, yo, this is, that's not what's going to happen. And, you know, we're trying to assure them, like even I was going back and forth with uh, the lady there that was helping us. And uh, <laughs> it was like every time I learned something new, I was like, hey, is this true? What's going to happen? Like, I, like I, I need to be able to tell people that uh, we're going to be OK. And, and that was very important to us. I guess working in concert with the First Nations Land Management Resource Center would obviously be important in the beginning. But now that you're an operational community, is that relationship still very important? Oh, yes. And we're still talking to them and still learning. Uh, it's very new to us because uh, we are the first in Alberta to become a with the land code. And I think we'll be learning a lot more things along the way. And it's just February already and having our first meeting here in a couple of weeks. We just got a big uh, zip file there that me and Lawrence are looking at. It's like, there's a lot of stuff here we got to go through. This is going to take another <laughs> two years. Yep. <laughs> yes. Every time we get a certain document, we go line by line. You know, we we sit there, we talk to um, our uh, advisory group, and you know, we go line by line to be able to understand what's being told to us, so that we can translate it back to our community and um, you know, strategically plan on what the next steps would be. Have you had other communities get in touch with you to find out how your experience has been? Yes, <laughs> we actually did a little. Uh, oh. 
We're hopping planes there that one couple good days there, eh, Lawrence? Uh, first, we had to drive to Grand Prairie, catch a flight. And our flight from Grand Prairie to Calgary, Calgary to Fort McMurray. Then we had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and fly from Fort McMurray to Edmonton. Then Edmonton back to Grand Prairie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we helped out Fort Mackay with their land code, which they just passed as well. And they became the second First Nation in Alberta in January. We're very glad to be invited to go see their First Nation as well. And a beautiful community. Oh, yes. And um, there's also a PTFN there. Um, they've asked us for our uh, land code document because we're in the same um, general area as them. Because, you know, we're, we're not, um, we're kind of away from towns and cities. So we're kind of unique in that sense where, you know, other operational land code nations, they're like outside of a town or a city or things like that, you know. And um, we're kind of out in the sticks and, you know, we're doing what we can in the area that we have. And which, and I'm pretty sure we'll do great. So it's very different. Yeah. Are you along a major highway or a secondary highway? Oh, Highway 986. But uh, yeah, the the main use for that road is for like oil and gas sector, I guess you could say. Yeah, big trucks, a lot of tankers. Does that give you guys an opportunity to develop any businesses along the highway, like gas stations or coffee shops or retail? Yes, uh, we actually have two state gas stations, uh, one we had there for years, but we are in the process of uh, building a truck stop, which we bought off one of our members where the First Nation itself bought the store off them. So we're developing a truck stop right now, along with a tobacco shop, I do believe. So we're slowly getting stuff done already. I think other communities will be really interested in finding out how you made it through the process. And uh, it's really cool how you've got this this dual responsibility of reserve land and then traditional land. So do you think it will continue that way? As long as we're in the office, I do believe so, eh, Lawrence? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. Because, you know, we really need to get things done in the rate of, you know, I guess, uh, of business, you know, speed of business not uh, waiting one or two years to be able to designate land for certain things that could benefit us now, not not later, right? So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, passing this land code will help us uh, do all kinds of things. I'm pretty sure it'll open the door to all sorts of different scenarios and things, and I, I, I can't wait. can't wait for what's next. And that was the key thing about developing the land code for our First Nation was economic development opportunities because we lost out on so much in the past years. Mm-hmm. Just because of the process, right? It it just kind of takes too long, and you get the ball rolling, then you get elections, and some people change, and ideas change too as well sometimes. And it's also to do with funding as well as looking in the right right areas for funding for projects. And everything stays the same, even if we pass land code. Uh, the working relationship with Indian Services Canada and all the funding opportunities, nothing changes. The only thing that really changes with the land code is that we, the First Nation, are managing the lands on the reserve. Just in closing, I was looking at, I think it's the Peace Tourism website. It talked about the beauty of the area where you're living. What would you like listeners to take away from your location and the types of cultural and recreational opportunities there are there? I saw one quote on that website. It said, pack the fishing rods and boat. Get up here. You're going to love it. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, we, 
we do a lot of uh, uh, traditional camps, you know, hunting camps, things like that. But we we have a, a lot to offer and based uh, also on, uh, you know, our members' ability to make things like uh, moccasins, you know, beaded jewelry and things like that. And and, and some communities, I don't think uh, they, they do that as much. But uh, like there's, oh man, there's so good families out, out here that... Uh, create these things that could be um, given away as gifts to other people. And um, the, the territory, it's pretty kind of hilly. You know, I, I think people like that. Like we, we canoe all the time as well. That's very fun. We have uh, quad rallies. We have our treaty days, which is very awesome. A lot of uh, um, outside community members actually join our treaty days because uh, of the games and things that we do. And it, it's, it's awesome. And there is one project that we hope to... Uh develop here in the coming years is a uh, uh it's like a summer camp where we can teach uh tour tourism tourists of our traditional ways as well so that's something that we've been developing here for the past few years and i think uh, with developing the land code i think we can move a lot quicker on some of these projects now right so uh that summer camp is something that we're really looking forward to and there's a lot of things on the table right now. It's going to be so busy. I think that one's going to be a good one because we're part of the Peace River, Peace River Tourism as well. And uh, we've been so busy with the land code, but now we're going to be kind of putting our foot in the door with tourism with the nearby town of Peace River. And uh, I had showed them my PowerPoint presentation of this uh, Camp Woodland and they they were blown away because we don't have anything like that in Northern Alberta, right? And I don't even know if uh, summer camps exist anymore. What a great idea. I wish you luck with that. That'd be fantastic. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it, look, it looks nice. You guys see the PowerPoint presentation and you'll be like, oh, wow, this is going to be something different. I'd love to see it. Just in closing, since we're talking about recreation and outdoor activities, hockey, Edmonton, Calgary. Uh, I love hockey. But for a hockey team, I'm a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Uh, Mario Lemieux was my sports hero and still is. Now that he's retired, I'm just a team fan itself, and I don't have a favorite player anymore. <laughs> Lawrence? Edmonton Oilers all the way, man. Can't help it. <laughs> Born, bred, and raised. <laughs> I said I defected from Alberta. I was like, everyone likes Gretzky and the Oilers, so I'm going to go to the next best greatest hockey player and I think that was Mario Lemieux back in the day when I was growing up. I know when I lived in Calgary in a hockey pool uh, one year I had Wayne Gretzky and Yari Curry. I did well. Nice. Well, thank you gentlemen. Is there uh, if if somebody wants to get in touch with you, is it okay if we give them your uh, email address and the telephone number to the band office so they can get in touch? Sure. Yes. And a uh, yep. great other uh check out our website at woodlandcreeperstation.net, I do believe. Yep, and if uh, people want to kind of get to know, in in a sense, on who we are, you know, there's all there's also a, a YouTube video which kind of you know tells a, a little story about us. So that that could be beneficial to people if they wanted to kind of kind of know who we who we are. Good stuff. We'll put some links in the show notes. Definitely. Thank you both so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. And my thanks to Lawrence and Elvis for their time and enthusiasm for sharing their experience in land management. I'll put their contact info in the show notes. And don't forget, you can always find what you need to know about land code at labrc.com. 
That's where the experts are who can help you out. Now, something different to end this episode. Some beautiful music found on the Woodland Cree website. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening. Enjoy.